Hey everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the DDT Archives. I am Greg. With me as always is my partner in crime, Chris. What's up, bro? What's going on, my man? Oh, you know, quarantine life is the best life. It is the best life. <laughs> Whatever. What are you going to do? I got a week left on lockdown, so it's nice to have time to prepare for shows like this and, you know, talk to everybody and catch up, play some video games, watch some old wrestling and overall enjoy myself. How have you been dealing with this whole thing? Is that a loaded question? <laughs> kind of. Um, I, you know, I, I'm doing great with it. You know, I gave myself a mohawk today. I wasn't going to bring that up, but that's fine. You know, I decided to just throw caution to the wind and surprise my wife, who proceeded to take a video and sent it to everyone that we know to tell to tell me to shave my head because I have a bald spot. And I told her, I just don't care. This is quarantine life, and I'm going to live my best life. So that That's your version of your best life? Right now? A, mo- <laughs> <laughs> a Wednesday afternoon mohawk. That's your best life. Right now, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> totally fair. All right. So we're here. Uh, we're talking about the best in uh, classic pro wrestling. Uh, looking back at some of the great events, matches, and and just overall superstars. Uh, today, we got a little special episode. We're going to cover Starcade 85. So if you want to go back and uh, look at the WWE Network, and it's the third Starcade, and it's 1985, takes place November 28th, 1985. But before we get into that, uh, as per the last show, we were kind of up in the air of where you could find us, and I wanted to make this announcement to kick it off. Uh, so we're, we're finally, I've covered all of our bases when it comes to availability. So we're on iTunes right now. We're on Spotify right now. We're on YouTube right now. So all of those huge platforms, we are available. So make sure you go there. If you like the show, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at DDT archives. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore DDT HSLB. See, I remembered it this time. That's good. Cause I still don't. That's fine. Don't worry about it. That's, that's my job. So I still only have three followers though. So nobody, nobody is doing what we have. Please go follow Chris. So he stops complaining about it. So today, so going back to that, we're just, we're, we're everywhere now. So it's easy to find us. So make sure you subscribe, you rate, you check us out. You throw us a follow on Twitter. Yeah. Reach out to us. We're always here. Lord knows we're not doing anything else. Uh, So we have plenty of time to uh, communicate, make some new friends and some new fans. So, Ready to talk about Starcade 85? Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, it took place on Thanksgiving night, 1985. That's November 28th. It took place in two different arenas, which I thought was interesting because this is one of the first times that was done in this early age of... It wasn't even pay-per-view yet. It was closed-circuit uh, TV. So, it took place at the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the famous Omni in Atlanta. Both just legendary arenas for Jim Crockett promotions and WCW, right or wrong. Absolutely. Those were probably the two most famous arenas that they attended. Yeah. So, you know, Greensboro was the home for the first four Starcades, but remember, this is one of the first big events for Jim Crockett after the first WrestleMania. So they wanted to kick it up a notch, so they had it in two different arenas. Now, this it's kind of funny because when you think about it, think about escalation when it comes to wrestling, right? It's like, all right, 
WWF has to compete with Jim Crockett and the early Starcades, 83, 84. What do they do? They put on WrestleMania. WrestleMania comes along, Starcade 85. Screw it. We're going to go in two different arenas, make it a this big super show. Then what happens after that? WrestleMania a few months later? WrestleMania 2? How many arenas were they in, buddy? Three. <laughs> exactly. So escalation in wrestling has existed for such a long time. So it's funny and, how you, the timeline. Go ahead. And the, you know, the three cities were a little bit bigger in uh, the WWE. I think it was Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, they went for big time cities too. So they knew they were going to get the, the viewing audience. But give uh, Crockett credit for kind of bringing this idea out and getting so many people to watch closed circuit TV. Oh, for sure. And I thought another little interesting footnote, speaking of closed circuit TV, I looked it up because I, I know we don't do Meltzer star ratings on here. We're just not about that life. No. And, but I looked it up because I, 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 I would like to see what he was talking about. And he didn't even see this event because he couldn't get a feed for it. <laughs> so he didn't, even, there's no star ratings or any write up about Starcade 85 because he didn't even watch it. His minions sent him the information about the show, but he didn't actually see it. So I just thought that was a kind of funny little fact. Um, so like I said, Greensboro held the first four Starcades, 83 through 86. You know, the Omni was the home of first Starcade in 86, 89, and the first War Games, which took place at Great American Bash 87. So the Omni in Atlanta, we all know that's where WCW's headquarters were um, moving forward. So the Omni in Atlanta was such a huge arena. It's great. So before we get going match for match, what were some of your thoughts going into this? Because for me, this was the first time i'd ever seen this show this is a file this under shits greg never greg's never seen um which is some a lot of this older stuff so what were your thoughts coming into this one the only match on the card that i knew about in detail going in was the magnum tully match um the i quit match it's it's probably their most famous match uh for both wrestlers and I kind of felt like when we do these old school cards, sometimes they don't stand the test of time and we wind up just basically poo-pooing all over pay-per-views. And and I knew at least one match was going to be like, this made it legit. And that's why I suggested it. Yeah, so I I didn't know. The only match I really knew about coming in was this was uh, Dusty versus Flair in the main event for the title and the whole, and we'll get into that in a little more detail later on, but I knew this was that show. Obviously it was the poster and the title card on the network and everything like that. But even before that, I knew it was Dusty versus flair for the 10 pounds of gold. Uh, but you know, for me, just after watching it, this car, this, the show as a whole was a, for this time period and you think of 1985 you think of the cartoon rock and wrestling era right or wrong um you do except this is the stuff i was watching yeah so it was a little different for me i'm sure for you going in this was a bloodbath for me this is just what the southern wrestling was in any big show there was blood and a lot of it see it's interesting you say that because for me i'm thinking of like you know it's 1985 this is like probably before I definitely before I even watched wrestling or knew what it was. I mean, it's four years old, 
But thinking about the time period and what was going on uh, up in New York, it's this. I felt like this was way ahead of ahead of its time. Maybe not. I could totally be wrong. But it felt a little ahead of its time with the level of violence that went on. But you're telling me that this was the norm. Um, maybe not in as many matches, but in the big time matches, there there always were was a ton of blood. If you look up pictures of Flair in the early '80s, he's having a crimson mask in just about all of them. No. See, that's the thing. For me, the, the way this card is laid out, if I had to modernize it, it really was almost an extreme rules pay-per-view type of card. Just the way it's put together. Like, a lot of gimmicks, a lot of different types of matches. There's rarely a straight-up wrestling match on the show. So, it's it's just... For me, it's just very. There's a lot going on, and it's it's extremely violent, and it's not for the faint of heart. And if you don't, I'll just give that this warning. If you go watch it, and I suggest that you do because it's a fun show. See a lot of these older guys. It's 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 a bloody mess. It's like eighty percent, eighty five percent of the matches have blood. <laughs> you can count on on one. It's like an 11, 12 match show. I think one of them had, didn't have blood in it. If if that's even fair. So it's just for me, if you like that, if you like that kind of thing, it's, it's awesome to see just this old, old bloody messes. But if that's not your cup of tea, it's like, this is, can be a little bit difficult to watch. This was ECW before ECW existed. Ooh, yeah. So let's get started. So our first match of the, of the show is uh, Crusher Khrushchev versus Sam Houston. And this is for a championship, if uh, correctly. Hang on a second. NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, which is a it's a vacant title right now. And, uh, I mean, just... Crusher Khrushchev would become Smash from Demolition, right? Yep. That's Barry Darso. Oh, man. And, yeah, he's, it's Barry Darso. So, At the time, he turned his back on America and became a, a Soviet citizen. It's great too. Cause there's an interview with him later in the show where it's like, he's got this Southern drawl and he's got the, the sickle of the USSR and his sights. And it's hilarious. Uh, I love that. But, um, you could tell, and then there's against Sam. So it's again, it's Crusher Khrushchev against Sam Houston. This is the mm-hmm. first match in Greensboro. Sam Houston is the half brother of Jake, the snake Roberts, which I thought was a nice little fun fact. And who had some mild success here and there, but it's a for me it was a little bit of an awkward match. I felt like uh, Crusher was a little bit smoother than his opponent. Um, so what did you think about this one? I enjoyed the match, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily anticipate it being um, as smooth as I thought it was. Uh, I think of Barry Darso. I think of Smash, just hard hitting. You know he was actually performing uh, during this card and I really enjoyed it. And Sam Houston, I think is an underrated talent. Um, He's, you know, that title was, was a little more than a a mid-level title. You know, at that point, everything was about a belt. Um, And because of that, you had to have that mid-level guy and Sam Houston could put on a good enough match that he could get people over. And I thought he did a really good job in this one. 
Yeah, it was a cool finish too. Kind of um, babyface gets screwed. Uh, Houston thought he won and was celebrating the victory, but uh, Crusher had his foot on the ropes. And then he hits him with the then. Houston gets hit with the big clothesline, and he appeared to get his own foot on the ropes, but the ref didn't see it and counted him for the for the three. Um, announcers didn't notice either because they didn't comment on it over the replay, even though it was glaring. My friend, you're making a mistake. It was not a clothesline. It was the Russian sickle. I do have the sickle in uh, parentheses on my uh, <laughs> on my notes. I apologize for that. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, it's the Russians, dude. Like. They were the the second greatest bad guy, national bad guys ever behind the Iron Sheik. Oh, totally. And we'll see more of them later on in the night. Uh, before we move forward, our announcers for the show is a very young Tony Schiavone and Bob Cottle, who do a very good job on the <laughs> talking over these matches and announcing. I don't know. I think they were in Atlanta, though, for the show, right? They were. Okay. So it's interesting how they go back and forth between these arenas. My favorite is when Tony leads Bob, Bob Cottle to somewhere and Bob Cottle is nowhere there and just sits <laughs> in silence for like 10 or 15 seconds and then Tony says something different. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, it is. it does get a little bit awkward during this match. And Tony does his best over-the-top radio guy voice in this it's not the tony Schiavone we know and love in 2020 he is very he sounds like he's giving away t-shirts out of the prize van um near the kmart like he's just over the top radio guy it's awesome uh, and the other thing i wanted to point out just with going back to the opening match is how great is the referee's outfit in this it's awesome oh my god he's it's 1985 so he's wearing like a yellow jumpsuit bell-bottomed singlet he looks like bruce lee in enter the dragon it's oh my god it's the greatest ref outfit i've ever seen it is really good <laughs> all right so any other final thoughts on a crusher cruise chef versus sam houston i thought it was a good match to get started on the card and that's about it yeah no i'm with you there i like it was it. the one without blood it was <laughs> they really peaked early <laughs> the next match not so much <laughs> oh no the next match is uh the bull the raging bull manny fernandez versus abdul the butcher and this is a mexican death match um but it's really just a sombrero on a pole match is, is vince that... russo before vince russo knew what wrestling was yeah i don't know i didn't know that was part of a Mex mexican death match it was you know that was new for me but uh absolute bloodbath from the first minute it is it's on the faces are gushing so i really thought that the entrances stood out to me in this in this match because like it's just this generic music and no talking so they they had to have ed heavily edited it out <laughs> from the network because they because back then they probably used like real music like real pop music right oh without a doubt yeah, so it's just funny with like the the master editing of WWE Network to to kind of get these things past you know copyright infringement. It's just funny, but um, so what are your thoughts about this match, man? I'm sorry, you knew what was gonna happen before it started. Abdullah the Butcher was not climbing a pole. There was no way. It just wasn't gonna happen. It, 
I mean, listen, I, you know what I would really love to do? Let's get our Twitter flowing by starting a feud with Manny Fernandez because he hates when you criticize him if you're not a worker. So I'm going to tell you flat out, Manny Fernandez might be the worst of the worst at this time. He thinks he's good. He pretends to be a member of the Miami Dolphins. But it's not the same Manny Fernandez. He's just a guy from Texas that's eh, okay in the ring. And, I mean, he does get a nice crimson mask and takes Abdullah's fork to the head. Um, you know, he bled with Abdullah before Abdullah had hepatitis, I guess, allegedly. Um, but it was... I didn't like it because it was predictable. Like, you just went, uh, the bowling ball is not going to climb up the pole. Yeah, and that's how you win the match. you got to get the sombrero off the pole and... Manny Fernandez did that. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. This match is like, it's just a, just a disaster. Just blood everywhere. No real story or psychology in this match. It's just, it's just an absolute mess. So I'm with you there. Um, any other final thoughts on that? I'm not going to war with Manny Fernandez. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> I don't. Ugh, too, um, too, too tired for that. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed. Number one, Paul Jones. I, you know, he's a guy I don't think we've ever really spoken about. Um, and he just did such a good job in the 80s being a manager. Um, believable, bad guy. Like, you knew there was nothing redeemable about the man. You know, very underrated manager. Yeah, and we'll get into him. He he pops up later on in the match and later on in the show. So, we'll yeah, we'll come back to him. He's a very underrated manager. I always like Paul Jones. As I get to watch all these old shows and you know, learn about these new, older guys. Well, new to me, but older older guys. So in between the next two matches, we have our interview with Crusher Khrushchev that I, I alluded to earlier. And it's just so great to see. The, the interviewer is Johnny Weaver, and he's in North Carolina. And if there's ever the most obvious of um, re- reading cue cards during an interview... <laughs> It's that because he actually has to like stop and collect himself to find his space on the cards. And it is just, oh, it's hard to watch. So is his forehead because it's all torn up, but it's hard to watch. Yeah. Did you catch that? I did. Um, you know, it's he was good back in the day. Just how the mighty have fallen by this time. Yeah. So moving on. So the third match of the night is... You get it's kind of a two for one special, so you get it's a Texas bull rope match between Cowboy Ron Bass and Black Bart. These guys were former tag team partners, and uh, obviously had a had a big feud. They used to be managed; they were managed by JJ Dillon. JJ has moved on to just manage Black Bart, and. If the, the stipulation was if if Bass won, he would get five minutes with J.J. Dillon in the ring and get to enact his revenge over his former manager. And um, I don't know. I, I, I like the story this match told, and I thought it was fun afterwards when, you know, obviously you wouldn't have that stipulation if Ron Bass wasn't going to win, and he did. And he gets his first couple, he gets a few minutes with J.J. Dillon and... It's a lot of fun to see JJ get beat up and um, 
but I, I, I didn't find this any it, that bad. I love JJ's tuxedo t-shirt, but this is another bloody mess of a match. And uh, I just want to hear your thoughts. So <laughs> this is going to sound silly, but before watching this match, I always thought uh, Ron Bass and Black Bart were the same guy. That's <laughs> apparently they are not. Um, so Ron Bass is a, as a baby face, just nah, <laughs> it's not okay. Um, it was a good match though. And the story was there, um, looking at JJ Dillon in his tuxedo t-shirt jeans and cowboy boots, and then thinking about where he'll be in about six months in his like thousand dollar suits and, yeah. and dress shoes. Um, it, it's very, it's interesting in that regard, knowing where it will go eventually. Um, the match itself, bloody, it's what a bull rope match was all about. Um, you know, using that big cowbell on people is just, yeah. um, you know, but it, it was, it was a fun match. I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, I thought going into it, I was going to be like, really, what am I watching? But it, it was a pretty good match. And, you know, the J.J. Dillon part of the match after uh, Bass beats Bart, you know, it was pretty balanced in that five minute window who is, uh, who's getting beat up. And I thought it told a good story when black Bart comes in and makes sure that he finishes off bass so that Dylan can get the win. Yeah. You get a ref bump there. You get a really crappy pile driver by black Bart on Ron bass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, that was a little rough, but, uh, yeah. So, so Ron Bass beats Black Bart, J.J. Dillon beats Ron Bass, and then we can move on. Any final thoughts on that one? No, that's it. No, cool. All right. So I really enjoyed this next match, at least the beginning part of it. I thought I laughed my ass off during this match. It's a, it's an arm wrestling match between the Barbarian and superstar Billy Graham, and it's for a $10,000 purse to, to who can win an arm wrestling match. And I got to say... And then eventually after that, it, it once the arm wrestling match ends, they go into a regular match. But I I I enjoyed the arm wrestling part. This is something you don't get to see all the time. And you don't get to see it anymore. And I know if they did it now, people would just shit on it. But as as psychotic as we know superstar Billy Graham is right now, he sold his ass off during that arm wrestling match. And you know it's probably easy during against the barbarian, but I was I like I I got into it. I was like, this is this is what wrestling is all about is just that the performance of it and taking something that's utterly ridiculous and making it believable. And I felt that the arm wrestling portion did that to a T. What do you what do you think? I agree fully. I thought it was uh, it was good storytelling. You know, the first thing I'm thinking when I see Superstar coming down to the ring is I knew Hulk Hogan ripped off a lot from Superstar Billy Graham. I didn't realize how much of Hogan's later character stole off of him. Like, even the Hollywood and the eventual Hogan wearing long tights were identical to what Superstar wore. It was unbelievable. 
That was great. And the, the arm wrestling match kind of ends in a, in a DQ superstars about to, to win the match. And then the aforementioned Paul Jones <laughs> comes in and just clocks him with a cane. And so superstar won by DQ and the $10,000. So then the wrestling match starts right away. Uh, and it's, it's another, there's more blood in this one. Um, it's our third straight bloody match. And, um, Superstar would win by disqualification again after another uh, cane shot from Paul Jones while he had Barbarian in a bear hug. So, you know, just as you thought he was going to win, there's there's that great heel manager <laughs> disrupting that and not letting his his client lose. But overall, this whole segment from the from the match to the arm wrestling port, I really enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, superstar Billy Graham probably at that time is what? In his early 40s? Probably. Didn't look it. Well, that's what I was going to say. The dude is jacked out of his mind. He was 42 there. So, really. I mean, that dude was on some good roids. (laughs) Those good 80s roids. Oh, man. He might have gotten those from West Berlin. Um, or East Berlin for that matter. But uh, he w- he was jacked out of his mind. I thought the role that Paul Jones played is great. That was just, that's who he was as a manager. He wouldn't let his guys lose clean. And that that's great. I thought the Barbarian looked great too. Yeah. Uh, there is, he and Haku slash Ming are the two most believable bad dudes like period like you wonder if they're gonna rip someone's arm off and then just eat it that's the kind of guys they are like he was legit the barbarian yeah he was great he was great so and you and you know you tend to like not like at least for me it's like man like he just thinking of the longevity of his career the barbarian like he was around during you know, every era. He was just seemed to be in like the mid eighties. He's there and on a huge show You know, from his time in WCW and WWF. Like this guy has just been around forever. The dude's still going. Yeah. And putting on shows him and him and the warlord still go to go to indie promotions. It, like unbelievable. Believable. Yeah. I mean, like he's a dude. Without a doubt, he's a dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So since you always like to hit me with trivia. Sure. It's your turn today, pal. Okay. So which major professional wrestler was a national arm wrestling champion? Hmm. Oh, man. I know this. And it's going to you're going to is he like current right now? No, he is not right. current right now. Okay. I will give you one hint. Okay. Minnesota. Oh, great. Um, Rick Rude. Yes. Okay. It was a good hint right there. That was a very good hint. <laughs> really? The, yeah. rav- the ravishing one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. That's a good trivia question. I like that I one. So. Every once in a while, I come up with one. I like I, 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 you put me on the spot last week. I had to get you. Please, you please don't give do. me hints. No, I need <laughs> hints. I need them. You don't. Please, 
All right, so our next match is for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship, and that is Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, and uh, Dollar Store Ric Flair, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Um, it was nice to see a straight-up wrestling match after an hour of blood and gimmicks, right or wrong. <laughs> Uh, not with those two guys. <laughs> no, man, I, I didn't uh, think this match was that bad. I th- I thought no, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It, but you hit the nail on the head. Dollar store, Ric Flair, and well, that was his, Doodle Do man. Well, um, that was his. That was his gimmick, man, and he played it well. Yeah, like that's you know just to be a Ric Flair ripoff like easily, but then proclaiming yourself to be the real Nature Boy. And he's got a backstage interview later in the night that is isn't that bad, you know. He he could talk, man. And oh, he definitely could. And and you know, the, and the match itself wasn't isn't terrible. But it, it, I I felt like this match, even though it wasn't, you know, break the doors down, edge of your seat, exciting. It was a good wrestling match, and I felt like this was the turning point of the show. This is where the show turned around for me in midst of just being just a like a a horror movie into a legitimate car because after this match this show gets awesome and uh, yeah definitely it does um it i do go back to the fact that everything's about a title you mm-hmm. know like the national heavyweight title like what's the difference between the national heavyweight title and the u.s title i was gonna ask you that i mean they're two different titles but like that's like saying the intercontinental and and world they're both talking about the same thing but we just try to ignore it yeah i didn't get that there's just a, there's a lot of belts in the show that are and I, and i get it when in the territory days they had to go to a lot of different places the nwa was huge so well that's what it was it, it meant know. that there was a guy in every territory defending a belt yeah exactly and so would come come together for the big shows like this yeah, and, and 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 I get that because you have like the national heavyweight title, you have the world heavyweight title, you have the U.S. title, you have the uh, national tag team titles and the world tag team titles, and it's just yeah, there's there's a lot of belts going on, but I and but I get it. There was one not defended too, the Southern States heavyweight title. Okay, did not know that. Yeah, yeah, it was mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> but anyway, this match, you know, was a good back and forth match. Um, J.J. Dillon is back managing Buddy Landell, and he's in his full tuxedo gear right now, which is the worst '80s tuxedo ever. He looked like a looked like Mark Twain. Um, but I mean, it's you get a double ref bump in this, which leads to the to the finish. Uh, T- Terry Taylor sets up Landell for his superplex. J.J. pushes Taylor off, so Landell just lands on him for the pin. And uh, Buddy Landell is your new national heavyweight champion. You know, good, like I said, good back and forth match. Um, kind of the turning point of the show. And it was a nice... Br- I think that what made this match better was all the hot nonsense before it. It just kind of like... You just kind of sat there. It's like, okay, just a regular wrestling match. This is this is good. I can watch this and not cringe too much. <laughs> so what, what were your thoughts on this? I thought it was good Southern wrestling. Um, you know, they a lot of chain wrestling, a lot of just... There was no flippy things and moves for the sake of moves. There was some ring psychology tied in. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you have a manager involved. You know, it, there were a lot of dusty finishes on on this card. 
and this is kind of the the really the second one that you see big time in terms of well no third because you have the superstar barb and then you have bass and or gj dylan and bass yeah so i mean you get a lot of those quasi finishes that dusty will become known for as he moves forward in his booking career but i i did think it was a good match i did do think it kind of brought the fans back to that wrestling mentality versus that blood and guts um and then it'll set up for for the rest of the evening yeah for sure and so uh after that, we have our, our seventh match of the night, which is uh, I really enjoy this one too. Uh, this was this was, for me. This was a great psychological match, which I love that kind of stuff. It's almost textbook uh, psychological tag team wrestling. It's for the uh, NWA National Tag Team Championship. You got the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. That's uh, Arn and Ole Anderson, and they're uh, going against the team of Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes, and. You know, what can you say about Arn Anderson other than he's 27 years old here. He's perpetually 45. He still looks like that. I know that's like the running joke, but it's like he was born that way. What is going on? Dude could go, though, couldn't he? He was great. He was great. I, mean, I, I love I, this I, match. I'll, I'll tell you what. The Andersons were awesome because what they did was believable in the ring. They isolated a body part and they took it apart. And that immediately told you that they had a plan. They neutralized their opponent's best weapon. And to me, that was a piece of wrestling that I really, even as a young kid, I could could kind of see what that mentality was. And the good guys were getting hurt by these really bad dudes. Yeah, I think it, what what made sense to me about this match was how they went about about attacking their opponent. It was like he, it was almost it was strategic. It wasn't just let's go out and do some moves and do our thing. No, no, no. We're gonna beat up on the older guy in Wahoo McDaniel and just pummel him and leave their jacked up his jacked up younger partner in the corner to not do anything and. It, I thought it was great, and you know, if you if you've never seen Billy Jack Haynes, he looked like he was a human action figure. And if I had to compare him to a contemporary just body type, he was like Batista big, right? Yeah, he He's was huge. If he wasn't a nutcase, he probably <laughs> could have had. Uh, they, I mean, you still listen to him talk. There's there's a couple of uh, eggs short of a dozen there, <laughs> but uh, you know, he was he was talented man. Yeah, so and not too long after this, he'll be in WrestleMania, WrestleMania three. So a year later, he'll be in WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah so like he and and it's just it's so great how how the Andersons cut off the ring. They just pummel Wahoo, and when he finally gets over there and tags Haynes in, you are you thinking you're gonna get a hot tag? No, you don't. Both Andersons are on top of him before he even gets like a foot in the ring. It is just so it everything about that match made so much sense to me. And I just love that. I love ring psychology and I love logic when it comes to this. And, you know, I know Bruce Pritchard says this a lot. It's just like, it's dangerous to apply logic to illogical situations. And I get that, but this had so much of that. And it, it was just, it, you get like a cheap win 
um, out of like by the heels with heel tactics, and it just it it, it was great because Wahoo's like starting to get an advantage in the corner, but he makes the mistake of being in in the opponent's corner. Oli trips him, holds onto his foot so Arn can get a pin. Everything about that match was absolutely made all the sense of the world. I didn't sit there and watch and be like, why? Did, what was that? Why did they do that? No, everything made sense. Told a great story. Love the match. What about you? I, dude, I loved everything that the Andersons ever did. <laughs> you know, as Oli got older, he, you know, I didn't like his character, but again, they were believable heels. I'm really like, so this made me think about how good the revival slash revolt are going to be when they go to the NWA and uh, to um, AEW over the next few months because that's their gimmick is to be like that old school Anderson style take a take a body part apart ring psychology wrestling is wrestling so I'm excited to, to see where that goes that's oh, good yeah we'll see all right any final thoughts on that one or is that that it for you because no now, that's really now, good for, that's... for me like if that is if you're gonna watch only a couple of the matches in, in this one that is gotta be one of them yeah no oh, for sure and the next one which i know you were excited to talk about uh it's it's a tremendous match and you see it's magnum ta against Tully Blanchard in an I quit cage match for the NWA US title. And uh, you see get a young Earl Hebner in the ring as the referee for this one. So I thought that was that was fun. And it's the crowd is just there's literally a buzz in the crowd before this match even gets started. And I know I said this during our best without the belt episode when you were talking about Magnum TA that I didn't really know a lot about him. But just watching this and just before the match even gets going, how popular he was. He was such, like, everybody, the crowd just loved him. I mean, how could you not? But there's just this steady buzz throughout the match, and it, you know, it worked. So, you know, talk to me about this one. I'll let you you get, get your thoughts out of the way first, because I know you were excited to talk about this, and I don't want to torture you any further. So, Magnum TA, you know... I mean, he had the Tom Selleck looks. He could go in the ring. The women wanted to be with him. The dudes wanted to be him. Riding his motorcycle around. You know, he he was was a dude. And then you have on the other side, you have Tully Blanchard, who is the dress to the nines with the robes. You know, that arrogant, cocky heel. Just doesn't like anyone. He knows that he's better than everyone. So really, like, coming in, that story is natural. The good guy versus the bad guy. Like, and the idea of an I quit match. Tully, while he is, can be Weasley, he has so much of an ego that you go, I don't know if he could actually say I quit. And you know Magnum can't because he's Magnum TA. So going in, you couldn't figure out the finish a la, you know, the the match earlier in the day with Manny Fernandez and uh, Abdullah. This one was, okay, who's going to win this? Who's going to actually say, I quit? 
Yeah. And, go ahead. And you know what? And you felt that throughout the match as you as you as you're watching it unfold, and and the deeper it goes, the the more you're thinking like you're you're gonna see one of these guys die in the ring because neither of them are gonna want to say neither of them are gonna give up. They're gonna have to, they hated each other so much and you felt that animosity between the two of them that in order to win you're gonna have to kill the other guy. And there and it's it's like a movie. And I'll tell you this I'll tell you this right now for me and I've been watching wrestling a long time and I haven't seen everything but I'm trying to roll through it but out of the probably thousands of matches I've seen in my life this was the most realistic match I have ever seen you felt every punch you felt every knee you felt every crash into the ring every time they bopped each other with the microphone you felt it there's no leg slapping kicks here and you know, flippy, flippy nonsense. If if you get tired of that stuff, watch this match because you really feel like these guys are legitimately kicking the, beating the shit out of each other. And they were. Yeah. Uh, that's how much they respected each other outside of the ring is they, they went shot for shot. Uh, I thought the use of the wooden chair <laughs> was awesome. Because obviously a metal chair is not going to splinter. A wooden chair will. Gives you extra. And, we- it makes it turns one weapon into eight. Yeah, and I mean, if you've ever gotten a splinter, you know how much that stinks. And now imagine it in your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's driving it into you. Yeah. What? Am, what? Am, know, there's nothing fun about that idea. One of my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite spots in the match is. Uh, is. Magnus trying to get Tully to to say I quit, and he's got the microphone in his face, and Tully just headbutts him in the gut, <laughs> and, and, and Magnum just keels over. I, I thought that was just that was just brilliant. Like I'm not gonna say I quit. I'm just gonna use my head as a battering ram to get you off of me. But yeah, that's how the. But you talk about the wooden chair. That's how the finish came. It you know, baby doll who accompanied Tully to the ring throws the throws the wooden chair over the over the ring. It just disintegrates. So now there's extra weapons to come out and and um, it's it's like a movie where, you know, you see a guy trying to stab another like stab somebody in the head and they're holding their hand away from it. And it's, you know, Tully straight up tries to murder Magnum and then Magnum T.A. gains the advantage. And with the same piece of chair, then he succeeds in stabbing Tully in the head <laughs> to which Tully says, I quit and we have a new U.S. champ. So like unbelievable match if there's. Honestly, if there's one match to watch throughout this card, you know, if you're going to pick one, it's this one. It's absolute classic. It's it works on every level. And if you like that like ultra violent and but it's just it's it's violence with a purpose. And I think that's what carries this to be some sort of to be like a t- kind of timeless affair. What do you say to that? I mean, it was I mean, it's one of my top three favorite matches of all time. Really? That high? That's a lot. Oh, yeah. It, it's, But this is a match that I remember from when I was five years old. You know, like, I remember watching this when I rented the VHS with my grandmother because my mom never would have rented it for me. Um, and I would watch it and see this. And, you know, it was... At the time, I didn't see it the way I see it now, but 
you have a guy who is an alpha male who had no problem selling for people. Just think about that for a minute. Magnum TA is as big of an alpha male as Lesnar, Goldberg, all those guys in their prime. And how many of those guys really let other people get heat on them? Yeah. And there was never a doubt during this match that he was going to do what he needed to do to give the people everything they wanted. And you can't enjoy it unless you have a little bit of, oh, no, he might lose this match. Like, no, Magnum, no. Um, and straight up, Tully Blanchard's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. That's a given. You know, Magnum TA, I think if he had a longer career, you definitely would have been up there. Now, just think about this. Tessa Blanchard was raised by Magnum TA and is the daughter of Tully Blanchard. Could there have been two better wrestlers to kind of guide her in her career? It's an excellent point. Like, just think about that. Yeah. That's awesome to me. Yeah, I love I love the after the after the next match we're gonna talk about, there's you know, you get the Magnum's promo um being back being interviewed backstage by Johnny Weaver and he had a great line in that. And it was so honest and he goes he goes, That ain't wrestling, but that's what it took to get back what's mine. And I'm like, damn man. That's that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Ooh. He didn't need 20 minutes in a ring to get it across. No. He, he took his 30 seconds and put over the best promo he probably ever did. Yeah. Quick and simple. That's And that's, I think, you know, we're really what we get at here and like going back and watching a lot of this old stuff. It's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's some gaga, but I think one of the, if I can get on a soapbox for a minute, is I think one of the things that, that lacks in today's product and this goes across every promotion that's out there is the it's the lack of simplicity that hurts a lot of these a lot of these matches and a lot of these promos and things like that it's just they they always constantly have to go bigger and better and more things and i don't always think that that's what we need all the time i think sometimes the simplest straightforward is the best just my tell you what what especially right now with empty arenas keeping the promos to a minimum yeah you come out you say your piece you get out because there is no crowd stopping you there's no playing to the crowd and to me that's the hardest part watching where normally i do enjoy promos Right now, I don't. See, that's the thing. And not to get off on too much of a tangent, but like, what's the point of doing in-ring promos right now? What What is the point? They should be doing all backstage stuff like they did in the old days. You know, like the like you know an episode of Superstars where you just where it's just like, hey, if you uh, like the only wrestling's in the ring, and backstage you have somebody with a microphone. And I'm not saying like I haven't like I I'm not watching religiously as I often as much as i'd like to but i it's just i i just but i try and keep up up to speed on as much as i can but you know it like those one-on-one you're talk like literally all you're talking to is people at home so why aren't you talking to the people at home i think is the point i'm trying to get at you know what i mean Mm -hmm. 
And I just thought, I just felt like those, you know, those those promos work so well. That's for a dumb kid on a Saturday morning. But I think like going back to that, what are you doing in the ring? Like, stop. Who are you talking to? So, eh, whatever. Doesn't matter. Moving, <laughs> moving forward. Uh, so we have a, a tag match. Um, this is a Atlanta street fight. And it's between the Midnight Express, which is Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, and accompanied by, of course, Jim Cornette, against the team of Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively, which is um, Ronnie, Garvin. Ronnie Garvin and Drag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if if there is a popcorn match on this show, before you get to some good stuff, this is it. Um, this match is a hot mess. <laughs> and it's, you know, the Midnight Express come out in tuxedos, you know, you got Ronnie Garvin and drag, like I said, there's blood everywhere. The the there's not even a like, and the occasional wink to the camera isn't a bad, isn't that bad. But even the announcers are, are selling that it's an actually a woman that Miss Atlanta Lively really is a woman, and I thought that was just you know weird. But um, I don't know. This match stunk to me. What about you? I couldn't make it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was really uh, bad. So, all right. So let, let's, instead of accentuating the negative, let's turn and talk positive. Okay. Who is the better Midnight Express? Shut- Condry and Eaton or Stan Lane and Eaton? You know what's funny? And I hate to do this because this is corny as shit, but I literally had the same question on my notes for you. Same exact question, but I, I, you know, for me it was it's uh, it's Stan Layton Eden. I always like that that form of the Midnight Express better. Is that because you were more familiar with them? You think? Well, why else? Oh no, I'm just. But asking. I also, but I'm sorry, but, there was another reason. No, there's another like a. It's more familiar, and b. I just felt like they had better matches. Like I like I I don't know I just like Stan Lane. With Eden, I thought that uh, yeah, I thought I think they are they they just they were yeah a better team together. I enjoyed them better in traditional matches. However, Loverboy and Bobby Eaton when they had the scaffold match with the Road Warriors and the promo that the Road Warriors did before the match, where they literally wrote down on the top of pumpkins standing on top of scaffolds that they wrote lover boy and drop the pumpkin to simulate what they're going to do to the midnight express was awesome. So in that regard, I did enjoy uh Condry because, but you just described something the road warriors did. <laughs> like, yes, but they, <laughs> but they were the, so they were the first ones to put the road warriors out. Okay. I don't know if you realize that. I don't. The Road Warriors were the were the absolute beast. No one put them on the shelf. But here it is, the Midnight Express of all people, the absolute chicken shit heels, put the Road Warriors out, and then the Road Warriors were like, nah, we're going to get our comeuppance. That's the same time that uh, Cornette blows out both his knees falling off the scaffold because... Big Bubba Rogers had his glasses on. Hmm. I really, if I ever use my power for good, Greg, don't. I could probably save the world. Well, you can try. You got some spare time. 
Yeah. <laughs> we can just try and save the podcast world from now and, you know, ruin the fans. I think fans. we're doing a good job of that. Yeah, we're, yeah we are. We're building, we're building the brand. We're building it up. I like, I, I love that we just get to talk about stuff that's ha- that makes us happy instead of having those, like, the, you know, crappy podcasts that just complain about everything, that hate watch stuff. I want to watch stuff and have fun. And that's what exactly. this stuff, like watching uh, Starcade '85, it was it was fun to watch and to take notes and kind of do some research and things like that. Damn, that's what makes this fun for me. It's not just watching stuff and be like, oh, that sucked, that sucked. This guy should win. This stuff happened 30, 35 years ago, coming up, which is baffling to me. We don't have to worry about fantasy booking. We don't have to worry about oh, where's this going? No, no, we just get to look back on it with joy, and. Um, Talk about what we liked and don't like, and it's fine because this match was terrible, and we can move on to a real tag match. Again, there's there's a and the next tag match was the main event for the Greensboro show. Um, shockingly enough, you think like having to follow Tully and Magnum in a I Quit Cage match, but they succeeded. Um, and there's a whole lot of talent in this match, and that's the Rock and Roll Express versus Ivan and Nikita Koloff. Um, this is another cage match. They just left the cage up. And it's for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. So uh, why don't you give your thoughts on this one first, and I'll give you mine. So here is why they're able to main event over at Magnum and Tully. At this time, there might not be anyone more over than the Rock and Roll Express. They were, wow, the people went crazy because of how good Ricky Morton was at selling. He would sell so well that the girls in the front row would be crying their eyes out. And you'd get the shots of the crowd and they're going, no, Ricky, no, no, save him, Robert. And it was just, that's what they did. The Koloffs, I mean, Ivan Koloff is the guy that beat Bruno for the belt. I mean, the dude could go. One of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. And then... If there's somebody that believes their gimmick more than Nikita Koloff, the dude literally born Scott Simpson in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, changes his name to Nikita Koloff and only speaks Russian for five years. I mean, just the match itself is great. Another one where you see this storytelling, the good guys are getting beat up by the bad guys, and then they're going to be able to overcome it at the end only to then get the crap kicked out of him afterwards because you left them laying and it left the fans wanting more. Now all of a sudden you get more out of this feud. Yeah. I, I, I w- and just going back to that, I wasn't questioning why uh, the rock and roll express were in the main event. I was just saying that it had to be a tough spot. And if anybody can do it to follow the, 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 I quit cage match, they were able to do it. And it's just, you know, it, it is a great match, and I thought the what added to it was the complement of styles because you have these big and strong giant Russians, and then the quick, you know, athletic um, attack of the Rock and Roll Express. You know, it just it it, it complemented. I, you know, sometimes styles clash, other times you know different styles work very well together, and I thought that was the case in this match. But you know, the finish came. Uh, when Gibson was getting beat on, he made a quick tag, and as he was getting back up, you know, you know, he was getting back body dropped, and then 
Ivan had his back to Ricky Morton, who just rolled him up, pushed him off the cage, and rolled him up for the pin. It was a very cool finish, I thought. I really liked the finish a lot. What about you? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, it, it was, was cool. It was different than what you're used to seeing in a steel cage match. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And um, I just really, I really enjoyed it. And then you get the, you know, you get the beat down after where Crusher, Crusher Cruiser comes back and um, they beat, <laughs> they beat up Robert Gibson <laughs> with the, uh, with the chain. And yep. uh, it was, it's a good ending and way to send off the crew from Greensboro and to take us to our main event. So uh, any final thoughts on this one? So the one thing I'm going to say, um, two of my favorite tag teams growing up were the Rock and Roll Express and the British Bulldogs. If you go on the network under Hidden Gems, somewhere in there is the Rock and Roll Express versus the British Bulldogs. It is awesome. That is all. So definitely check that out. I think I've, I think you turned me on to that a while ago and I watched that. It is very good. Um. All right, so it's main event time. We got Dusty Rhodes, the challenger, versus the world heavyweight champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And um, this is coming from the Omni, and the story goes down like this. So this is Flair's third reign as champ, and he had held the belt for over a year. Um, on the September 29th show at the Omni, uh, Flair had defeated Nikita Koloff in a cage match, and um, the... Nikita and Ivan then attacked Flair until Rhodes came down and fought them off. And then Ole and Arn Anderson came in. And along with Flair, they beat down they beat down Dusty. And they broke they broke his ankle with the Flair broke his ankle with the diving knee drop and then applied the figure four. And we're off to the races heading into Starcade eighty five. So and this is you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is kinda this is pre official horsemen, right? They were kinda together, but they weren't named yet so this is pre-horseman okay remember when flair came in as a cousin of the anderson's that's it yeah, that's right so that's where that's where there's the relationship with those three um yeah they were they were bad guys of of bad guys <laughs> oh seemed it so uh i loved flair's entrance in here because it's like you get nothing and then the spotlight shines and he's just standing there <laughs> and then the lights come on <laughs> and start flashing. And then you hear um, his music playing. I thought that was just so, so cool. Very different yeah. than what you're used to seeing. It wasn't the anticipation of the music starts and then you're waiting for him to walk out. No, he's just standing there like a boss. Um, You know, and, and then it's, it's also the psychology of the match. You know, Dusty's working the ankle. He's trying to, you know, give give flair that receipt for his own injury and i love that and it's just the one thing that took me out of the match a little bit was did you catch there's one dude that's just wooing and yelling for dusty the entire time (laughs) oh it's annoying it's really annoying it's just it took me kind of out of it just this one loud fan that happened to have a seat next to a microphone but i don't know uh it's it's a it's it's a classic match. It's very slow and methodical. If you're looking for a fast pace, this is not your scene. But I'm not. I I, I love this. is a stereotypical main event. It it draws you in. It starts off slow, heats up towards the end. You get kind of a smosh finish, and um, but great storytelling for a great rivalry. What were your thoughts? So I don't necessarily think this is my favorite Dusty Flair match. But it is the traditional Dusty Flair match. 
Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about it being the traditional old school main event. Like, flare matches were not quick. The dude prided himself on being able to go an hour with everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that shows here um, just how good they are. And, and Dusty's another guy that he gets his due for sure, but he had so much charisma. So much. And then Flair also. I mean, they are the two antithesis of each other. Like, they couldn't be more different. Okay, so let me ask you a question. You you, you know we had, like, there's the, the popular debate topic now is, like, this Mount Rushmore bullshit, which I can't stand because it just, it makes no sense. It's impossible to put four people on a on a monument with as much product as we have over the years. But if I can get hyperbolic for a second, is Dusty Rhodes, you can argue who's the best of all time, whatever. Is Dusty Rhodes the most beloved superstar of all time? Very well might be. I, I couldn't argue against it. Off the top of my head, I can't yeah, think of someone. Like, there, there is just like this unconditional love amongst the fans for that guy. Cause you, you know, like where there were guys that were more popular, there were guys like, or at least like sold more merch and more tickets. They were guys that during their, their primes were, you know, bigger stars, you know, nationally, internationally, whatever. If you talk about your Hogan's and your Austin's and your rocks, that's fine. But, you know, you hear, there's just there's just, just such a love for Dusty Rhodes amongst the the wrestlers, amongst the fans, and it's just he is just so such a beloved figure, and you see that in this match too with the crowd, because you want they they wanted to see him get back at Flair, they knew, and especially in a, in the building that they they heard him in, because guaranteed there were a lot of the same fans that were in in the building at Starcade that were in the building the night they broke his ankle, right? So, so it's just, you could tell like, it's just this, they just want him to, to get what's his and, you know, the ending of the match is kind of like this crazy finish. You know, you get a ref bump, you get, you know, here come Arnie and Arnie and Ole Anderson. I said Arnie, didn't I? Arnie and Ole Anderson, (laughs) Um, you know, and Rhodes takes out Arn, but then catches a knee from Ole and then a new ref comes out. Flair goes to try and pick up Dusty, but Dusty gets the inside cradle in the three, and we have a new world champ. But it wouldn't last. Uh, you know, the the victory, and it didn't happen on this show either. They showed the, the end of the show with the uh, celebration in the locker room. and But, you know, it was later that it, the, the decision was reversed by Tommy Young because he, deci- he, you know, he was taken out of the match, and he felt that uh, Flair should have been disqual- disqualified because of the interference, and he remained world champion. And Rhodes, and then you get the formation of the Horsemen, and then you know Rhodes would would eventually win the title again at get it back at Great American Bash in '86, and you know, but Flair would get it back, of course, because he always did. You got to rack up those 16 World Championships, but you know, I just it's it, like I said, it's just a methodical match, and it's those that textbook storytelling where you don't need these over the top spots these big moves, these ooh and ahs and gagas. No, it's just two guys that hated each other 
fighting over the greatest prize in their in their sport. And sometimes that's all you need. And like I said earlier, keep it keep it simple. It's just it makes sense. Everything about this match makes sense. Let's go. You break my ankle, I'm gonna try and break your ankle. Oh, I hurt your ankle, so I'm gonna go after it and try and cripple you some more. It it all just make makes sense. So you know, overall, you know, any final thoughts on the main event? Then we'll just kind of put a bow on this one. So, yes, there is, there is something I want to bring up. Okay. We don't see enough of this in the big major shows anymore. Everybody looks at, like, a WrestleMania as the culmination. Starcade is the biggest show of the year in the NWA at this time. Yet, they use this to build a storyline further extend what was a one-year storyline now into a two-year storyline developing the greatest faction of all time on top of it and you don't see that anymore you see that it has to culminate here but this also tells you where good storytelling can allow for an extended feud you give a little bit of patience you let things ferment like, if you make beer, you're not drinking it the night that you make it. You're letting it sit and ferment. Otherwise, it's going to be terrible. And that's kind of what I see a lot now is everybody's rushing to what the finish is. Whereas here, it was like, nah, this isn't the finish. You knew the way the match ended, it wasn't going to be the finish. Yeah, but you but you didn't do, but they didn't do it at the expense of the payoff. That's the secret. Yeah. Yeah. That's the secret. You still get Dusty wins. He gets a celebration. He's got this, the champagne in the locker room. All of his buddies there celebrating. Yeah, it's a great night. But then, you know what? There's the next morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and they, they you know, after you, after you party it up and they took your title away and you got to get it back. So mm-hmm. it's, and it's so smart. And, and it's, and that's the age of like, but if it's not that, it's the age of the weekly television. You know, nowadays you gotta, it's always about the next show. They don't, that, and that's a part of the problem I have with some of today's products is I feel like, and this doesn't even go through like the quarantine portion of it. it. It doesn't matter or like, you know, empty arenas and everything. It was like, it's been like this for years where they, they give away too much stuff on TV where by the time you get to a pay-per-view event or whatever, it doesn't matter how many pay-per-views you have a year. You can have 12. My problem isn't that there's too many pay-per-views. My problem is like when you're building up to a pay-per-view match, you've already seen these two guys go at it like three times. So what do you, so where's the, I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is where's the, the stakes in the pay-per-view if you're already like oh these guys already fought like three times why am i why do i care about why is this match any more any bigger than what i'm what i'm watching on monday nights right Mm -hmm. no i agree fully you know so i i think there's there's not enough of keeping people apart because it takes away from what you know where you're really wanting to go but that, and that's where that's where the the crappy storytelling gets to. You know, there's no there's no builds anymore. It's chapters. It's not books. But I'll go a step further. You have these people writing for the WWE the day of the show. 
You know, like you got to have the idea for where it's leading to before you start writing. Otherwise, you're just flying by the seat of your pants. And, and look, do sometimes they hit home runs? Absolutely. But you're putting yourself in, in a bad pitch count trying to write the day of and rewrite three times because Vince doesn't like it. You know, take a page out of the old school book and have a long-standing story. They have enough guys on that roster that dudes don't have to put their hands on each other. They can have run-ins. They can have, you know, just promos. Like, think about the old-school superstars where you'd have the little box. The Hart Foundation would be wrestling on TV and Demolition would come up in the corner talking trash about the Hart Foundation. Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff prolongs feuds. They never touch during the week because, you, you know, you knew that that was the pay-per-view event they would touch each other on house shows to sell tickets but it's not the same yeah work out the kinks on house shows put put make things special again yeah no i'm with you i can't can't say much more about that so uh before we get out of here, any 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 other final thoughts on uh, Starcade '85? It's definitely worth a watch on the network. Um, there's a lot. There's something for everybody on this match. If you like old school battles, um, you know, slow methodical matches. If you like the ultra violent bloodbaths, um, it's it's there. It's a it's a fun show, and I definitely recommend. If there's one match to to watch, it's that um, the Tully and Magnum TA match, um, the I Quit Steel Cage match. What about you, man? Any final thoughts? I just thought it was a great show, and I, I was really glad that we went with this um, because I, I thought it really was to get back in the flow of talking about a show. This was it's a good one to kick it off. No, oh, definitely, I'm with you there. All right, so what's on tap next? What we're gonna do? We're gonna do another little feature. It's kind of a list without a list, but uh, we decided that through there was no Hall of Fame ceremony this year, and we were really talking about doing an ECW show, but you know as we were talking, we realized like the ECW pay-per-views aren't very, as a whole, aren't very good. There's good matches, but there's not great shows. And, but we wanted to do something ECW. And with the lack of hall of fame ceremony this year, with everything going on, uh, we decided that we're going to open up our own ECW hall of fame. And that'll be our next show. Um, we're going to, we're going to pick a few guys and we're each going to have our, our, our classes and induct some of our favorite superstars that graced us in in extreme championship wrestling into into the first ever ecw hall of fame so i'm excited to get that done what about you i think it's going to be great i mean that was one of the biggest stepping stones in our wrestling fandom was friday nights watching uh 1 a.m uh ecw shows on the msg network yeah it was the best so uh, that's something to look forward to coming down the pike. We're going to do that soon. And uh, But as always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube. Just type in DDT Archives and subscribe and rate us there. You can follow me on Twitter, at DDT Archives. And um, all of our shows and all of our links are going to be on our website, highspotslowblows.com. And your Twitter handle is? Chris underscore DDT HSLB. Fantastic. Look at that. I learned it. Yay. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Um, but once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. 
Uh, hit us up on Twitter if you have any show ideas, things you want us to cover, pay-per-views, uh, Monday Night Raws, Nitros. We're going to do those coming soon, so I hope so. That's a good idea, right? We do individual TV shows? Of course. Why not? All right, and then uh, we'll see you next time for the ECW Hall of Fame here on the DDT Archives. Archives.